Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Well, we've got a couple of big releases coming up. On the 2nd of February 2021, the new Friday Barnes book, it's the ninth in the series and it's called Friday Barnes No Escape, is going to be going on sale. And I know the fans have been waiting for this because there's been a hiatus since the eighth book and everyone was like, you can't end it that way, write another book. So I did finally crack and write another book and it's coming out just over a week away. Um, so that's really exciting, that book. But on the same day, the audiobook of Friday Barnes Girl Detective, which is the first book in the series, that's also going to go on sale. So you can download it through Audible or wherever you download audiobooks from. I guess Spotify would have it and iTunes and all that sort of thing. So because the ninth book's coming out next week, I will read to you the first chapter of that book next week. But to prepare you for that, I'm going to read to you the first mystery from book one. It's not actually the first chapter. It's the second and third chapter so that you fall in love with it and rush out and get the audiobook or because you can just download it on your phone. I guess you don't really actually have to rush anywhere. Just quickly click on something and buy it. Anyway, I'm going to read to you from that book. So here we go. Chapter 2 from Friday Barnes' Girl Detective, A Brilliant Deduction. As Friday paged through Uncle Bernie's case file, she sucked on a lollipop. She always did this when her brain was processing a difficult conundrum. She actually didn't eat many lollipops because she usually found most problems, like the ones her teachers gave her, were easy to solve. But the mystery of the stolen diamond was very difficult indeed. She was onto her third lollipop and she still hadn't solved it. Friday and Uncle Bernie poured over the paperwork, surveillance videos and affidavits from all the bank staff. The problem was there was nothing to see. Everything in the bank vault proceeded according to protocol. A diamond appraiser inspected the jewel at 1pm on Tuesday, then put it back in the safety deposit box. Then nothing happened until 2.17pm the following day when the owner of the diamond, Mr Fredericks, opened the box and discovered that it was gone. Friday watched the footage over and over again, focusing on all the details. The nervous way the bank manager kept touching his tie as he accompanied the appraiser down to the vault. The way the appraiser methodically cleaned first one lens of his glasses and then the other before handling the stone. The number of times the security guard sneezed per minute. And the way Mr Fredericks strode into the bank in his built-up cowboy boots and towered over the average height security guard as he presented his card with a little flourish of the fingertips. Finally, there was the pandemonium, as Mr. Fredericks discovered the diamond was missing and raised the alarm. A siren went off, staff ran down from the offices above, and in the chaos, Mr. Fredericks must have stubbed his toe because he hobbled as he was ushered upstairs. Friday watched it all time and time again, trying to unravel the story of what really happened. 
After three hours, Uncle Bernie gave up and left Friday to it, so he could swap to watch in reality television and find out if the spinster chose Eric the farm boy or Peter the playboy millionaire. He woke up as the closing credits rolled and looked at the clock. Oh, it's quarter to twelve, exclaimed Uncle Bernie as he leapt up from the couch. We've got to hide the pizza boxes, detune the commercial channels and put you in bed. Your parents could be here any second. It's all right, they won't be here for another fifteen minutes, said Friday, not looking up from the paperwork. They are never early or late. They make complex calculations on traffic speed based on all the latest available data before they go anywhere in a car. Well, you should be in bed, said Uncle Bernie. It's a school night. Friday looked confused. But the most effective use of my time would be for me to sleep in school, although I doubt I will be going to school tomorrow. What do you mean? asked Uncle Bernie. You haven't got food poisoning from the pizza, have you? I told you you should order one topping that was a vegetable. Vegetables do not in and of themselves prevent disease, said Friday. They provide vitamins that act as cofactors in enzyme reactions, carbohydrates for energy and fibre that assists ease of bowel function. Then why aren't you going to school tomorrow? asked Uncle Bernie. Because you are going to take me down to the bank so I can prove who committed this crime, discover where the diamond is hidden and claim the $50,000 reward, announced Friday. You are, asked Uncle Bernie. You're not just saying that so you can get out of taking some test that's scheduled for tomorrow. Of course not. I love tests, said Friday. No, I know who did it and I can prove it. It was eight in the morning and the bank hadn't opened yet. Uncle Bernie thought that if someone was going to be arrested and dragged off by the police, it would be best if it happened before customers started to arrive. He was pretty confident someone was going to be arrested because if Friday couldn't prove who had done the bank robbery, then she was going to be taken in for wasting police time. Uncle Bernie had, as per Friday's instructions, assembled the police chief, the bank manager, the security guard who'd been on duty, the CEO of the insurance company, his secretary, he never went anywhere without his secretary just in case he needed a cup of tea at a moment's notice, and the owner of the diamond, Mr Fredericks, whose monstrous claim the insurance company desperately didn't want to pay out. And for reasons only Friday understood, Uncle Bernie had instructed everyone to dress in precisely the same clothes they were wearing the afternoon of the robbery. Can we get on with this? asked Mr Fredericks as he checked his watch. If this is going to be a complete waste of time, I'd rather get it over with. I've got a trustees meeting at Highcrest Academy. It's the best school in the country and it took me two years to get on the board, so I don't want to be late for my first meeting. Hmm, interesting, said Friday. And what is this child doing here? demanded Mr Fredericks. Good question, agreed the police chief, taking out his notebook. What's your name, young lady? I shall be passing it on to the truancy officer. Friday Barnes with an E, said Friday, reading over the chief's shoulder to check he spelled it correctly. I find Mr Frederick's comment interesting because traditionally, in detective novels, the person who first complains about having their time wasted by a murder investigation is the person who committed the crime. What is she talking about murders for, demanded Mr Fredericks. The principle is the same, said Friday. The police chief scratched out the word truancy officer from his notepad while muttering, hmm, perhaps I'd better report it to the mental health team instead. Friday, whispered Uncle Bernie, trying to be discreet, although in a bank vault, things tend to echo so everyone could hear. This is real life, not fiction. I thought you had something real to reveal. Oh, I do, said Friday. I know who the murderer is. But no one's been murdered, said the bank manager, mopping his brow. He turned to the police chief. No one has, have they? The robbery is bad enough. Sorry, force of habit, said Friday. Most detective stories are about murders, so it's hard to stop thinking of crime in those terms. Nevertheless, I do know who did it, which in this case is robbed the bank. This is ridiculous, said Mr Fredericks. Again, that is what all murderers, I mean criminals, say, said Friday. Mr Fredericks, your conversation is quite the cliché. 
Barnes said the CEO, by which he meant Uncle Bernie, if I cancelled my 8.15 tea off for a waste of my time, I shall not be impressed. Please, sir, said Uncle Bernie, my niece may be eccentric, strange, small, dowdy and inconsequential looking. I am, asked Friday. But she really is very, very smart, continued Uncle Bernie. If she said she knows who did it, she probably does know. Then please get on with it, said the police chief. One of my officers arrested himself last night for being drunk in charge of a firearm, so I really do have to get down to the station and yell at him. Let's review the evidence, declared Friday, as she took Uncle Bernie's laptop and brought up the surveillance footage. Everyone else groaned. Friday continued undeterred. The bank was robbed last Tuesday. No one knows how the thief got in or got out. All we know is that when Mr. Fredericks came to withdraw the diamond at 2.17pm on Tuesday afternoon, the diamond was no longer there. It had last been seen at 1pm the previous day when an evaluator from the insurance company inspected the diamond for the official valuation. Yes, yes, said the police chief. We all know the facts. You say that, said Friday, but it's not true, because I know more than any of you the identity of the murderer. Friday was beginning to enjoy herself. She'd been watching a lot of Agatha Christie movies, and she was beginning to speak with a trace of a Belgian accent, and to twirl an imaginary moustache as she strutted about the vault like Hercule Poirot. Identity of the thief, corrected Uncle Bernie. Yes, yes, same difference, muttered Friday. The video evidence from all the security cameras has been scoured. No one came into contact with the security box in that time, which means only one of three things can have happened. Number one, the security camera footage was tampered with. But the recordings of the security camera are housed in a titanium box, protested the bank manager, and it's isolated from the internet, so there's no way it can be broken into physically or by hacking into it. Exactly, agreed Friday. The second alternative is that the thief used laparoscopic technology to drill a hole up through the subfloor and extract the diamond by a tube. If that had occurred, said the police chief, there'd be filings and a one-inch diameter hole big enough for the diamond to pass through. I know, agreed Friday, opening the security box to show the others. And as you can see, there is no such hole. What's the third option? asked the police chief. Like most lawmen, he loved a good crime mystery. That someone walked into the bank, went down to the security deposit boxes, opened the box and took it, said Friday. But you've just said that was impossible because no one was caught on film, said the bank manager. He didn't really care about the diamond. He just desperately wanted to make sure that the bank's protocols had not been violated so he couldn't get in any trouble. Ah, but he was caught on film, said Friday. One person opened the box, and that person was Mr. Fredericks. Friday pointed at Mr. Fredericks for dramatic effect. When he opened the box, he didn't discover the diamond was gone. He stole it. Uncle Bernie groaned. Oh, oh dear, I'm going to lose my job over this. Why on earth would I steal my own diamond, demanded Mr. Fredericks. For the insurance money, of course, said Friday. This is ridiculous, said Mr. Fredericks. I want this girl arrested for slander. You can't be arrested for slander, as it isn't a felony. You have to take civil action, explained the police chief. Though I think you'd have a pretty good case. You've got plenty of reputable witnesses. But I can prove I'm right, said Friday. I'm going, said Mr. Fredericks, starting to move towards the vault door. Hang about, said the CEO. We're all here, and my group is teeing off without me, so we might as well hear the young lady out. After all, said the police chief, if she slanders you further, you'll only have a stronger case. Take a look at this part of the security footage, said Friday, showing the point where Mr. Fredericks arrived in the vault. But he's just entered, said the police chief. He hasn't done anything yet. 
But look at this, said Friday, as she slowly moved the footage forward, frame by frame. His hand in the security guard. That's me, said the security guard proudly, pleased to see how slim he looked on screen. How's your cold, asked Friday. How did you know I had a cold, asked the security guard. Because you sneezed 16 times in seven minutes while Mr. Fredericks was in the vault, said Friday. You can't have hay fever because you work in an airtight underground bank vault where there's no pollen, and you can't have flu or you wouldn't be able to perform a job that requires so much standing. Therefore, I deduced a simple cold. I'm fine now, thank you, said the security guard. Can we get on with this, asked the police chief. Yes, of course, said Friday, returning her attention to the security footage on the computer screen. Here it is, Mr. Fredericks presenting his business card. So, said Mr. Fredericks, look at the flourish, said Friday. He doesn't just hand over the card, he flicks it up into his fingertips. Normal people don't do that. The only people who use that little dramatic gesture to present a card are magicians. What? exclaimed the police chief. It takes hours and hours of practice to balance the cards perfectly on your fingers to do that, said Friday. She took out one of her uncle's business cards and handed it to the police chief. You try. The police chief flicked the card up, but it slipped out of his fingers and fluttered to the ground. It's not easy, said Friday, but Mr. Fredericks did it without even thinking. It was instinctual, automatic. It shows he had, at some point in his life, spent years cultivating the techniques of sleight-of-hand magic. Preposterous, said Mr. Fredericks. And I was easily able to prove it was true, continued Friday, because the Barnum and Bailey Circus Skills University does not have very good online security. Friday clicked away busily at the computer for a few moments. So when I hacked into their transcript database, I found that you, Mr. Fredericks, graduated magna cum laude 20 years ago with a major in acrobatics and a minor in sleight of hand. Friday turned the laptop around and showed everyone Mr. Fredericks' transcript. That doesn't prove anything, blustered Mr. Fredericks. A man is entitled to have a misspent youth and start again without it being held against him. What are you saying, Friday, asked Uncle Bernie. I'm saying that Mr. Fredericks had all the sleight of hand skills necessary to palm the diamond when he opened the box and pretend it wasn't there, accused Friday. Hold on, said the bank manager. When a theft is reported, we have strict protocols. No one can leave the bank without being searched. Mr. Fredericks did not have the diamond on him when he left the bank. No, agreed Friday. He had it under him. Does she always talk in riddles, complained the CEO. Sometimes she can go days without talking at all, said Uncle Bernie. I wish this was one of those days, muttered the CEO. I draw your attention to Mr. Frederick's boots, said Friday. Now it's a crime to wear boots, is it, asked Mr. Frederick's. We'll see, said Friday. You'll notice Mr. Frederick's is wearing riding boots. The style is called the Stockman. It has leather soles and a three-inch Cuban heel. These boots are handmade to order and have all the style options available. Mr. Frederick's deliberately chose those. So, asked the police sergeant, why would a man who is six foot four, continued Friday, six foot five, Mr. Fredericks interrupted. Friday looked him up and down. I think you'll find you've shrunk since you last measured yourself. Friday turned back to the others. Anyway, why would such a tall man deliberately choose a shoe with a three inch heel? He already towers over most men. A shoe with a heel is much less comfortable, as any woman wearing heels can tell you. The secretary nodded. She was wearing five-inch stilettos and they were killing her. Therefore, continued Friday, the only possible reason Mr. Fredericks could have for wearing such ostentatious height-elevating shoes is so they would have heels large enough for him to hollow one out and hide a diamond inside. Everyone looked at Mr. Fredericks' feet. This is ridiculous, Mr. Fredericks exclaimed again. Footwear is not probable cause. Not in and of itself, agreed Friday. But when footwear is combined with a limp, Friday turned on the surveillance footage again, and Mr. Fredericks could be seen clutching his foot for a moment, then leaving the bank with a slight limp. A limp that you had when you left, but not when you entered, added Friday, 
That is damning evidence indeed. I'm not staying for this ridiculous child's fantasy. I've got a meeting to attend. Some hysterical student told a tabloid they saw a giant ape in the school swamp and the board has to decide whether they want to sue the student for defamation, said Mr Fredericks as he strode to the door. If you've got anything further to say to me, you can say it to my lawyer, he grabbed the handle of the door. I asked the bank manager to lock the door when we entered, said Friday, so the thief couldn't escape. Let me out, demanded Mr Fredericks. Show us your shoe first, said the police chief. Where's your search warrant, demanded Mr Fredericks. I don't need a warrant to search the shoe of a suspect in a bank robbery, said the police chief. Now take off your shoe. I may look like an ageing man to you, but I should inform you that back in my day, I was the all-state wrestling champion for the police force three years in a row. And I had to wrestle against firefighters and ambulance officers, and they are tricky blighters who cheat. Mr Fredericks slowly and reluctantly bent down and slid off his boot and showed it to the police chief. There, you see? Nothing inside. Let me have a closer look, said the police chief. He inspected the boot very carefully. He took out the insole, looked over every stitch in the sole, and even sniffed it. Lovely smelling leather, said the police chief. But he's right, no five million dollar diamond hidden in there. May I have a look, asked Friday. This is ridiculous, snapped Mr Fredericks. I'm going to sue your department for this humiliating charade. I'm getting a bit tired of the lack of respect with which you speak to me, Mr. Fredericks. You threatened me twice. If you threaten me a third time, I shall arrest you for attempting to intimidate an officer of the law, regardless of what jewellery you may or may not have in your footwear, said the police chief. He handed Friday the shoe. She sniffed it too. It does smell nice, agreed Friday. The boots are obviously new. She turned the boot over and looked at the large Cuban heel. Then she grabbed the shoe firmly between both hands and wrenched on the heel. Friday, exclaimed Uncle Bernie. That's an $800 boot, exclaimed the secretary, who had a great deal of respect for footwear, expensive footwear in particular. But surprisingly, the heel did not come off in Friday's hand. It twisted on one of the boot nails, revealing a cavity within. A cavity that was the exact size and shape of a $5 million diamond. Wow, exclaimed Friday. I was right. Until this point, she'd only ever solved fictional crimes. A hole is not proof, protested Mr Fredericks. Save it for the jury, said the CEO. But where's the diamond, asked the police chief. You should search his office, suggested Friday. He wouldn't hide it at home because his tie perfectly matches his shirt and socks, which clearly means his wife dresses him and therefore has unfettered access to his sock drawer. So Mr Fredericks would have more privacy in his workspace. It won't be in his desk or filing cabinets because there'd be a danger that his secretary might stumble across it while looking for something else. So try the light fittings. Most corporate offices have ceilings that are only eight and a half feet high. Therefore, Mr Fredericks would easily be able to reach the light fitting without even standing on a chair. You've been spying on me, haven't you? accused Mr Fredericks, which inadvertently was a confession. No, said Friday, confused by the suggestion. There was no need. All the information was right in front of me. Mr. Fredericks was now making frantic but futile attempts to get out through the vault door. The police chief took great delight in dusting off some of his wrestling moves. He put Mr. Fredericks in a cobra lock, then handcuffed him. Thank you, young lady, said the police chief. We were up on violent crime arrest this month, but down on white-collar criminals, so this is going to do wonders for our statistics. The police chief led Mr. Fredericks away. I'm going to get you, yelled Mr. Fredericks, as he was half-dragged up the stairs by the police chief and security guard. You won't get away with this. I'm a powerful man. You'll regret crossing me. A bit of hush, please, sir, said the police chief, threatening a child will only add more years to your sentence. You're kidding yourself. I'm going to get the best lawyers in the country, said Mr Fredericks. I'll be out in no time with good behaviour, then you just watch out. 
I'd steer clear of Friday in the future if I were you, Mr. Fredericks, Uncle Bernie called after him. I think you've met your match in her. Mr. Fredericks disappeared in the upstairs office area, his loud abuse fading into the distance. Ring the golf course, the CEO snapped to his secretary. See if you can get me a 9.15 tee off. Barnes, I'll get accounts to cut a cheque for your niece here. The CEO walked over to Friday and shook her hand. Thank you, young lady. You've just saved my company a lot of money, and I haven't entirely lost my morning of golf. Fine work. Maybe we'll consult you again next time the professionals are out of their depth. The CEO glared at Uncle Bernie as he said this. Uncle Bernie realised that he'd just been insulted, but he didn't care. He wasn't going to be fired, at least not today, which was a big relief. Wow, said Uncle Bernie. Fifty thousand dollars is a lot of money. What are you going to do with it all? I have an idea, said Friday. The end. Thank you for listening to support this podcast just by a book by me, R.A. Spratt. There's lots to choose from from across the Friday Barn series, the Nanny Piggins books and the Pesky Kids series as well. And now there's the audiobooks of Friday Barn's Girl Detective, as well as The Adventures of Nanny Piggins. You can order any of these things through your local bookstore, or you can go to my website, raspratt.com, and click on the book depository banner. They have all my titles and free international shipping. That's it for now. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>